All right, welcome back to another week of your scheduled Marathon Minute pod. Max and Dad back in the studio. Dad, how are you uh, healing up physically? Road to recovery. I am up and working, and my right eye is better than it was a week ago. Mm-hmm. It's not better, all healed, but it's better and improving. For the listener, you're not wearing your eye patch right now. Right. So, you know, you're getting a little bit less strange looks and comments, but I think it's a the eye patch was a good look. We might have to bring it back at some point. You know what, what I've noticed actually, kind of walking around in the public with my eye patch, is that people, kids, will look at me. I, I, I see kids walk, looking at me and saying, telling their parents, hey, he wears an eye patch. Well, actually, now that you mention it, that reminded me. I think the story of when we were at dinner the other night is a good story that people should hear about. It's, it's a good one. Um, we were at dinner, and our waitress noticed that my dad was wearing an eye patch. And she was like, oh, my God, thank you so much for wearing that and being, like, proud about it. Because she said she wore one. She had some deficiency in one of her eyes, so she was wearing an eye patch to try and strengthen her other eye. She said she's so self-conscious about it. She says people always talk about it. And seeing you wear it and kind of, like, having a good... um, you know, you were kind of, I don't know if you were making jokes about it or just very comfortable with it. Right. It like gave her, she said that made her day. Yeah, that was that was kind of a good moment. Yeah, really, it, was, right? it was awesome. So I think. Yeah, that was a high. That She thanked me for wearing the eye patch in public. Yeah, as, as someone who's recovering from a surgery, obviously different reason for wearing it. But yeah, the fact that she recognized that and shared that with us was super cool. Just, just shows you, you know, you never know, right? What what strikes people, what moves people, what's important to people. Good lesson. You also never know what someone else is dealing with. You know, we never would have known she wears an eye patch from time to time and deals with that. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, transition into a great episode we have coming up for you guys. A good friend of mine, uh, former teammate, former opponent, current forward for Minnesota United, Foster Langsdorf. I met, well, I met him playing for the under-23s for the Timbers, but I knew of him playing against him in college. And we talk about it in the pod, but I hated his guts playing against him. I just could not stand him. Just everything about him. I was like, oh, my God, I hate this guy. And I don't know if that hatred came through to me because watching you play (laughs) against him when he was at Stanford and you were at Santa Clara, I had the same feeling like, I don't like that guy. He's annoying. He's he's really good, but he's annoying. I would I just don't like that guy. Having never met him. Yeah, and that changed instantly once I became teammates with him and got to know him a bit. We that was gone after five minutes, and we grew to become close friends. And this is just an amazing conversation. I, we just talked about it a little bit, but you really learn a lot about kind of the real foster uh we get really you know deep and and personal about a lot of things and you know not just goal scoring and playing against each other and stories but just kind of his journey and his road to where he got is is remarkable really if you think about um where he started in soccer and kind of the accolades that he's accumulated which is out of this world you that's that's exactly right you think and and you'll learn about foster's accomplishments as a collegiate and professional soccer player on the podcast but 
you just make certain assumptions, right, about someone who achieves that much in terms of they must have been a great uh, youth player. They must have been highly recruited. They must have had many choices in terms of college scholarships, right? right. You make those assumptions. Yeah. Well, listen to this podcast, and those assumptions will just simply fly out the window. Yeah. Walk on to three-time national champion, two-time Pac-12 player of the year, all-time Pac-12 leading goal scorer. Just crazy. Um, but also the hardest, one of the hardest working people I've ever met. I mean, having been his teammate, the dude would train before practice, lift before practice, train a million miles an hour, and then go do it all again on his own after practice, and then work in a job at the same time. It was it's remarkable his work ethic. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the most accomplished players we've ever talked to is also about the most hard hardest working players we've ever talked to. I yeah. don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's not let's not give too much away. That's a teaser. It's a teaser. Yeah, and I think you guys will really enjoy this one. There's a lot of good stories of of me and Foster playing on the same team, him getting me sent off in one of our games last year, which was tough to relive. But um, a lot of laughs in this one, and yeah, it, it gets real too. So enjoy. He's an open, honest, candid, uh, and highly accomplished guy, and a, and a fun guy to listen to. Yeah. Brought to you by Cafe Fanny Granola. Without further ado, Marathon Minute. Let's go. Foster, welcome to Marathon Minute. Welcome to the pod. How you doing, bro? I, I miss you, man. I miss you. I miss you too. Thanks again for having me on. I'm really, it's an honor to be here. It's also good to see you, Max, uh, off the field. I know last time we were <laughs> off the field, we were kind of pissed off at each other. Um, I was. I thought I was in the right. Uh, I thought I was oh the, my god, bro! Literally, <laughs> that's actually hilarious. I planned on like my first question being. What were the emotions as you see me getting sent off somewhat on your behalf? You know, in my opinion, maybe the foul was a bit dramatized by you. I didn't no. think it was particularly that harsh, but, you know, let's just get right to it. What was going through your head as you see, you know, I just considered you, I said, I considered you a close friend okay. you know, as you see me getting the marching orders. What's, what are the emotions there? I'd, I'd probably set the scene first for all the listeners. Yeah, so please. what's happened is uh, Reno 1868 was playing Portland Timbers too. And um, I playing my forward position. I check back in to our own half to receive the ball. And then I don't, what I don't see is Max coming right through me. Um, a, freight, a freight train. There's a freight train. <laughs> it was a freight train. Uh, was it a tactical foul? Probably not. I don't know. Was it personal? That's not <laughs> <here or> there. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say it's personal. I think, you know, maybe there was some frustration going with the result and maybe, you know, how the season was going at that time. I think maybe because it was you, I actually took it lighter. You know, it's like, this is my, <laughs> this is my dog. Like I got to, you know, take it a little easy on him. And then you go and start rolling around. And then, you know, next thing I see is just red. Um, yeah. But Hey, we're, we've recovered from that moment. I think, you know, that 
moments like that just make these relationships stronger. And now here we are, we got you on the pod. Um, And I may talk about this a little bit more later, but to me, Foster, you've always been the player you absolutely love when he's playing on your team or your son's team or team you're rooting for. And you absolutely hate when he's on that team that you're against. Uh, he's he's a rascal to play against. He is a rascal. It's a handful. He's a handful. But that's what you want on your squad. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I play to my strengths. And, I mean, sometimes that's getting underneath the opponent's skin. I mean, my goal isn't to get underneath anybody's skin. It's just to run as much as I can. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like to be hit when they don't have the ball either. But – I like to do that. I almost like see it, see it in a way of just kind of like a battle for a full 90 minutes. Yeah. And every time I'm hitting you uh, in my mind, it I'm thinking like, Oh, that's wearing him down a little bit. Maybe it makes him a half step slower, like 30 minutes later, if I'm getting into him right now. But, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you've been so successful is because you recognize how to wear down, you know, your opponent and you're very good at it. So I, I did, I did, you know, want to address that early on. Now we got that out of the way. Um, I He's do think <laughs> I'm not, I'm not still bitter. I'm not so bitter. Um, you know, it's a learning moment. You grow from it and here we are. I do think your, your story, your career, who you are as a person, your perspective, I think is just, amazing i mean i have the privilege of knowing you pretty well and i think your your story is something that people can be inspired from and learn from and so i kind of want to highlight that and go through a bit of your your story um so let's take it back to the early days growing up in the lovely vancouver washington what Mm. was what was early early foster like what were you passionate about you know let's let's take it back those early days what was your your growing up like I was, so I grew up in, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington. My, a lot of my family had been there. Um, I, I was living on the east side of Vancouver and then an arsonist came into our garage. Uh, my dad had left it open and he actually like lit fertilizer on fire and burned our house down. So then no our way. family, yeah. And then, so our fan, so then we moved, we lived in the Marriott like residence in for a little bit. And then, um, and then we moved to the West side of Vancouver, Washington, which was probably a little bit better because it's closer to I-5 and I could uh, get to Portland a little bit easier. But, um, so then How I old grew were you up, when your house burned down? I would have been, I would have been in first grade. Okay first grade so however however old you are then um was there any was there any motive like like what were at the time when you were this was just like a random dude who's just like i'm gonna yeah burns houses down oh my god (laughs) it was just some little kid that you got thrown out of a game no no (laughs) that's a good question no i was a little kid (laughs) oh my god Um, were you home when it happened uh, no, so so my my mom and my brother and sister were away pheasant hunting, and it was just my dad and I, and we come back from dinner, and our house is on fire, and I was just thinking, what can we swear in this podcast? Also, or, go yeah, for it, yeah. yeah. Well, I just was thinking, holy shit, like, yeah, I, 
didn't understand, but I mean, it was crazy to see our house on fire. We also had a cat at the time, Thomas, this tabby cat that my dad picked up from the uh, pound because it tried to scratch me. And so he's like thinking this could teach uh, like our kids oh my like, God. respecting animals. And the cat survived. Like, oh my God. Like, like, oh, that's so we, great. That is uh, great. Was, <laughs> a crazy cat. Um, so, so I moved uh, to a different part of Vancouver. And then growing up, my nickname was Bam Bam, uh, just like out of the Flintstones, just because I'd constantly be breaking things, and I didn't I didn't talk very much. Um, I had a speech impediment, and so my my siblings would constantly I couldn't say my R's, and so my siblings would say Foster, like say the Western ground squirrel goes down the whirlpool. And I just <laughs> they would just. <laughs> harassing me and just trying to get me to say that and I'd be so I didn't I didn't speak very much growing up I was very taciturn and I'm um, reluctant to share my own thoughts and um so I found kind of some solace in soccer because it was something I could do alone and I could just talk to myself I could scream at myself um <laughs> in some ways but all my all my family played soccer and so I followed kind of in in their footsteps a little bit and I wasn't and so it's really good and I think if you look at Vancouver Washington you you realize it's a real hotbed for soccer um, yeah I don't know do you know do you remember Brent Richards he plays for sure, Orange sure. he was oh, uh, yeah. yeah he he's a great player um he was one of the guys actually I looked up to um in a way and so to get to play with him last year was really cool but um it, it was a lot of fun. It was a good area to grow up and yeah, know, play soccer. So. Yeah, he played at uh, UW. He was a great player yeah. at Washington. Yeah. yeah. Shout, out, shout out Brent. Um, and he did everything before I did also, Max. Like, yeah. you know, he plays in at Division One, and then he goes to Portland and he actually starts games for them and like is playing for the club. Yeah. And so, and so you know, like he, he was like, the role model of what you would think success would be. Did you play any sports, other sports as a kid? I, I see you as a football player and a probably one heck of a tenacious kind of power forward. Power forward. <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Oh, you're so kind. Um, no, I, I would foul out in all my basketball games. <laughs> my, my, my dad didn't want me to play football because the football players picked on him in high school. And then, and so, I don't know, I just thought that was like a guy I would become if I played football. And, and then I thought about wrestling, but um, uh, my dad didn't want me to get cauliflower ears. So the only other sport I settled on was running and how I actually got discovered for that is um, I was a real try hard, like, as you know, Max and everything I do. And I wouldn't say a try hard. You work <laughs> very hard. You are very hardworking. Thank you. Um, yeah. and, and so in my sixth grade class during PE, uh, they have you go run the mile and um, I, I, I just go, I just run the mile and my mom's tennis shoes and these uh, <laughs> socks you'd get like from the airport, like they have Alaska written on them and they're like tourist socks. And I absolutely flame everybody. <laughs> but I just, Let's go. <laughs> So, like Forrest Gump uh, in that way, just <laughs> he ran and he ran and he ran. He just didn't. Stop. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So you you talk about you flamed people in the mile. Um, when it came to soccer, was it you know obvious that you were kind of 
an elite player or a level above some other players when you were younger? Or where were you in uh, relation to your competition kind of at the youth ranks? Uh, I would say I, I wasn't very good. Like, and I, I was cut. So in the, in all, I played for a club in my own age group. And then, you know, like OD, Olymp, the Olympic development program, ODP, yeah. the special program where all the kids from your area try out for one team to eventually try and uh, go through the ranks to make the national team. I didn't make that. I was very upset and I was on the B team growing up for for my club team and that kind of started the change i'd like to say around the seventh grade uh -huh. a little bit um but no i was never really skillful i wasn't even i'm not even skilled now i just think that the one thing i had was i would i was such a good runner and i would just constantly be i had a lot of energy so i'd be running around a lot and so in a way like other kids would go play other sports i just I mean, I also found myself loving it a lot. And so I think in a way um, that that helped carry me along just because whether it's going well or whether it's going bad, I just continued the play. Um, yeah, I really didn't get good. And and I don't think I'm good now. I, I don't think Foster, I got, you are I you are a very, very, very good soccer player. You are playing I'm, in the MLS right now. <laughs> you have some. I'll go through at one point, I'm going to go through all your accolades because they're pretty damn unbelievable. So let's just, let's just get this out of the way right now. You are a very, 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 very good no, soccer I'm, player. I'm, I'm good at scoring goals, but I'm not a good soccer player. You can look at the other metrics for that. Um, I'm not trying to like bullshit you or be humble in a way, but I think that I found narrow ways to be good at things that other people weren't exactly focusing on improving. I really worked a hell of a lot on my finishing and I worked a lot on my fitness. Yeah. And I think I really started to lift off just in my sophomore year of college. Um, I kind of played like I had nothing to lose and in a way that really helped my career at that point. Yeah. Well, you clearly, I think you're a great soccer player. I think, you're downplaying it a bit but you you know as you said you are very good at certain things and those things are scoring goals is one of yeah. the most important things in soccer and that event you eventually landed at stanford what was you know what was the recruiting process like getting to stanford were you was that kind of a dream school um were you one of their top recruits how did that all play out i had no idea where stanford even was i didn't know <laughs> I'd never been to the campus. My dad was, I, I would write all my, I, I don't know idea what it was, but one day I will never forget. I come back from high school and I said to myself, I'm going to just write a bunch of emails to colleges. And I was writing them like their text messages, like, like lowercase eyes, like you just spelled it you. <laughs> I just yes. letter you. And my dad comes back and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> an attorney like you Mike um and and so he he kind of helped me reframe that a little bit but I just I just knew I wanted to play in college um I, I had a girlfriend at the time and so I honestly I really wanted to go to um Oregon State or University of Portland so I could stay close but they they uh they didn't want me I went to college ID camp my sophomore year in high school and 
OSU, and I'll never forget this, said I was, I was below, below the level they sought to compete at physically. And then my skill level was average. So I thought to myself, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think that was, that's probably my best attribute is rather than hearing that um, feedback and going, these, these guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I, I internalized and thought, all right, this is going to make me better. Like I can just use this um, critique and feedback in a way to go improve in skill and my physical. Yeah. Abilities. So did you have I, offers from other schools other than Stanford Foster, or did you kind of stop looking once they made you an offer? Well, they never made me, the only offer they made me was you can come walk onto the team and we'll help you get into the school. Wow. Um, there were no other um, scholarship offers that I received. Um, only like, only teams saying, yeah, I could come on and be a practice player in a way. So, so yeah, I wasn't really, I wasn't heavily recruited in, in any sense of the word. No, not yeah. at all. Well, you, uh, you certainly proved them wrong. And, you know, when you said that story about the ID camp, I actually kind of forgot about this story. I went to quite a bit of ID camps as well. And I remember getting one of my like evaluations at the end of it, the coaches give evaluations. And I think at the bottom, they give you kind of like a final summary and like where they see you projecting, you know, ending Mm -hmm. up. And it's, I think it said high D2, low D1. And I remember similar to you, it was kind of just like, all right, well, like, fuck you then. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong. But I think, you know, it's kind of been a similar theme with some other people we interview. A lot of us that said that to you, it wasn't a school. It was one of like the big, like they have a lot of coaches there. And I think it was a Sonoma State. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was at Sonoma State, but I think it was like Lafayette, like the coach that gave me the review was like Lafayette in, I forget Indiana. where it is, like Indiana. Indiana. And so like, I took it, I like, I definitely took that personally. And I was like, who, like, who the, who the F are you to be telling yeah. me that I'm, you know, so I definitely, you know, I put a chip on my shoulder and, you know, I definitely see, I feel, I feel you on how you felt after that, because I think that, gave me some more motivation to kind of prove those people wrong. I think actually we may have that evaluation. I kept a lot of Max's stuff from youth soccer. And I may have that evaluation in that Max soccer notebook. I I look at it before every practice, you know, really gets me fired up. There Um, must be a hell of a lot of coaches who passed on you or didn't think much of your game, who you came back to haunt, Foster. So uh, in the end, you proved them wrong. Okay, so you get to... You end up going to Stanford and you're, you're a walk-on at this point, right? Yeah. So, so, walk-on. Wow. <laughs> from 14. Oh my God. So walk me through this process of going from a walk-on to eventually making the team and kind of that first year of, of being at Stanford and adjusting to college life. What was that like for you? Yeah. My, well, so I get on, I get on the campus and, you know, kind of being a, uh, like, Portland, Oregon guy. I didn't really like know how important sunscreen was. I thought it's <laughs> so all my teammates called me Rudolph because I had a huge red nose and I, <laughs> I was constantly peeling. Um, and 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 so I, I get there and 
I and they and they're trying to teach me how to play center mid, but I wasn't exactly fitting in with the style of play that they had or understanding the patterns of play and your responsibilities if you are playing center mid. It is an interesting system um, that Stanford, they're playing a 4-4-2 lineup. And so if you are a center mid, there is a lot of like stepping and dropping. And I just wasn't great at um, being able to go press a guy and then like drop back real quick, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So they, they had me go up and play forward because um gun said gun coach gun is the head coach of stanford he just he liked how i struck a ball mm. and i can i can hit a ball really well because all a lot of what i did growing up was i would just go to my local elementary school and i would just kick the ball a thousand times against the wall yeah um, and i and you know from doing that so well you know you in a way like come to understand how the ball bounces how you need to hit it like whether you hit it into the ground whether you hit it as the ball hits the ground so in my mind i just that was the easiest part of the game is just striking the ball so they put me up front and um I the rest is history two. yeah i scored <laughs> i scored one goal in the season and and then going rolling into my sophomore year we is we have the i think the number one recruit in the 20 15 class coming in who plays my position so so how they're using me uh, as i was kind of the the guy right in front of so if we're we're going this way i this is me this is their group coming in and the the coach's tactics are to not play the recruit in the beginning and to make him earn it yeah and by way of him earning it he 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 and him kind of overcoming me and taking my position he like i mean and for him to do that he has to show gun something that he hasn't shown before and that whether that's buying into the program or um buying into the system also and so they were kind of using me as just the um i don't know maybe you'd call that a straw man yeah like tall guy mm -hmm. but i mean in my mind i was like fuck i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm playing yeah. now this might be the last time I ever get on the field. I'm not letting this go. Like <laughs> I'm going to do everything I can to stay out here. Yeah. And Was that number one player, Jordan Morris? I, his name is, is Amir Basti. Oh, He's sure. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan Morris. I don't know if I'd be able to overcome him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That might've been a good competition. Yeah. Basti was a very good player. So, so this new recruit came in and pushed you in this sophomore year, you know what can kind of walk us through you guys end up winning a national championship this year um yeah. kind of walk us through you know well maybe just the next few years what were those next few years like you know you ended up going from fighting for a spot to start yeah. and get minutes to you know I, I plan on going through these later but you win three national championships two-time all-american lead the pac-12 all-time ever in goals two-time pac-12 player of the year like that that's quite a a jump from fighting to get minutes to being you know arguably you could argue you're the most successful soccer player men's soccer player in pac-12 history so like how did this how did this all come to be I think, I mean, I mean, first of all, I have only my, like the, the, the and this is a true answer. It's don't don't give the, I have no, no, to I thank my teammates. Be, I have to thank I need my to, teammates. I need to say this. Like, 
I, I think it gives some context. Like I was literally playing with the best, like Jordan Morris. I mean, probably was the best forward last year in major league soccer, Corey Baird, major league soccer rookie of the year. Like his professional career has been like unbelievable. Um, I mean, these guys like were amazing. Um, and they were, it wasn't like I was getting the ball and dribbling past, like beating two people. I just was in the right place, like 37 times <laughs> and finishing off. But I mean, to, but then to give credit to me, like you have to be one willing to put yourself in that position to fail. And then two, you have to execute. And by that, that means putting the ball in the back of the net. But I think one, one big thing, for me was between my um my freshman and my sophomore year I just spent a lot of a lot of my free time playing soccer and that was it because in a way well my dad had passed away uh right before that summer and so when I came home I just I didn't want to be at home um I just really I wanted to be able to distract myself in some ways so I would just go play soccer all day long yeah Um, and so that and and then so when I came back to school and uh and this is so then I'm feeling all great I'm feeling super fit and just pumped to go attack my sophomore campaign at Stanford and I get bronchitis Jeez. And the week before preseason which is the worst because gun will only play the players that like do the best on the fitness test yeah. And I, and so obviously I come in, I do mediocre, like I have to take an inhaler, like, well, I'm taking my test. Knowing Jeremy Gunn, your coach, uh, who is tremendously successful coach, but boy, is there anyone who makes his players work any harder who have to be in better shape than players who play for Gunn? No, no, I, I think so. I, I describe it like Florida's all natural orange juice. He, like, <laughs> he, he gets all of his oranges and squeezes all the pulp and the juice out of them. He gets <laughs> most yeah. out of his players, like gets them to play like to their potential and buying into the system. And also another good thing is like, I mean, he also makes us love soccer in a way. Um, but I think, I think, um, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Sometimes I look back at my college career and think it was serendipitous in some ways, um, me scoring the goals. But at other times, like, I, I think about all the hard work, work I was also putting in because I, I certainly did put a lot of hard work in. Yeah, I I know you did. I would think to play for Jeremy Gunn and that Stan- the Stanford teams you were playing on, not only do you have to be in great physical shape, but uh, there's a mental toughness that's required, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, even Jordan and Corey Baird, like our best players, he was going after them. And I feel like in, at least in the professional ranks, because I've never seen any other college program. I know that the best players sometimes like, as you know, Max, like if you're the best player, the number 10 on your team, the coach isn't really about to get on you. Cause I mean, they know like the number 10 can just go, okay. Like, I'm done like playing for you. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I think that what he did that you're exactly right. Um, what he did do really well was he, he treated everyone the same and like held everyone to the same standard. Like no one was above the group. Yeah. You guys, I mean, you won, you won three national championships. That's 
like pretty it's crazy pretty unbelievable <laughs> you know like what uh like did that ever like get to your head or like what was it like walking around campus like no one cares no one we cares back, we come back after winning the second natty and we come back on our team bus to campus no one's there <laughs> like the greatest. but i mean just the, that's the culture at stanford is you everybody's a winner there and everyone's yeah. so down the earth in some way i mean i'm sure if like we won the college football national championship people would be going crazy but um in, in, a, in a way like yeah that i don't think sports are huge <laughs> at stanford well you know it's strange at stanford because sports isn't huge in a sense but I forget what they call it, but uh, in terms of how many national championships a university wins on an annual basis, Stanford wins that every year. They win more national championships. It happens to be in sports that are not necessarily football or basketball, the, the you know, yeah. big revenue sports, but you know, in terms of golf and swimming and water polo. Yeah, soccer. they're an extremely <laughs> successful <laughs> athletic school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that also like that, I mean, obviously the facilities are amazing it's like disney world there but i mean yeah. like what you're saying michael like they have a lot of sports that other pro universities don't have so they have these chances to win national championships like more than in other schools might have yeah what about how was the how was stanford outside of soccer how is the academic side how is just the college experience you know not including all of this success you were having on the soccer field mm -hmm. i would say i'd say that i mean first of all I'd, I'd like to talk about the people the people there are like very like all very unique like in their own ways like one of my good friends like was super in the birds super birds. in the <laughs> and okay. another one of my friends in my dorm was a professional chess player in India. Wow. Like in a way, it's just they're these champions and these kind of niches that you wouldn't think about. Um, but they but also if you were to meet them, you would they're like very unassuming in a way. And I think that was the commonality amongst the people. I'd say the academics was just hard as hell. Like <laughs> I feel like I can't say some things on the podcast or else I'll get my uh, diploma. Or something. <laughs> hey, you, once you've got the diploma, you're good. You are in the clear, man. Yeah, they, they rarely take it back. back. No, they cannot take it back. They can never take that back from you. You put in the work. You're good. But, but I'll ask you a related question. Uh, and it's the same question for Max. And you guys were confronted with the same situation, broadly speaking, and that is that when you're a D1 athlete, and I don't think it really matters what sport, you've got the time demands uh, of your sport. You've mm -hmm. got the time demands of the scholastic aspects of being in college. And if you care about your grades and, and, and your studies, it's, it's mm -hmm. a big commitment. And then you've got the social aspects of college. Those kind of the three prongs for a, uh, yeah. an athlete. And I don't know how you are able to do all three and, and balance. Something's got to give, in other words. I'm not sure you yeah. can do all three to the fullest extent. And I, put, how can you navigate you know, being a, a D1 <laughs> athlete? I, well, I mean, I remember, I feel like when I was faced with that, I feel like I was asked that question, like, of kids like going into college and like the, the typical answer is like time management or whatever. And I, I mean, I guess in a way it's, it's right, but like, 
in a way you can do, you can do all three. I mean, without one of them suffering really that much, it just depends on the amount of work you want to put in. You know, I think if I've realized anything now, and I think I realized it at the time in college is that, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. And if you're productive with your time, you can do a whole lot in those 24 hours. So, I mean, I don't think I really had to compromise that much. I mean, there was times when I didn't go to certain parties, you know, there was times when I worked on an assignment and maybe didn't give it the, the most energy possible. So I could make it to that party, but like, you know, like, I think there's a way it's like anything, if you find a balance, you know, but it's also about what you want to prioritize, you know? So some guys are going to say, screw this assignment. I'm going to go to the party or screw this um, assignment. I'm just going to go to the gym and focus solely on soccer, but it's really just about what you want to prioritize. And I think if, I mean, for me, my priorities were, were, was soccer probably number one and school. I, you know, looking back at school, I probably put a little bit, mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much energy into it because I you think did I, really well, you did finance and got like a 3.5 or something. Yeah. I, I did pretty well in school and you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with a lot of those grades that I did well on, but I think it kind of, it kind of ingrained in me, like what is possible with hard work you know if i put my mind to something i can achieve it um you know but like yeah i think it's all about just what you are passionate about what you want to get out of it and i think people come in with certain motives and then once they see this college is like some big amusement park and once you see the parties you might get distracted by that and then you become less focused on school and soccer but i think one of the one of the reasons why you are where you are foster and i was able to you know, be where I am now is that we kind of had tunnel vision of like, this is what we're passionate about. Like I was in there, like, I want to play professional soccer. So that means, you know, if I have that your freshman year, I, I mean, that was, that's been the goal since I started when I was a little kid. And obviously it's like, it's transformed in ways and, and moved around a little bit as to what those, you know, where I want, like when I was 10, I wanted to play for Arsenal. But like, you know, that, that got adjusted a little bit, you know, when I wasn't getting recruited for college soccer, it's not like I want to play for Arsenal. It's like, well, I want to play college soccer. And then it's like, Oh, I want to play in Mm -hmm. MLS, you know? So it's constantly being adjusted, but what, uh, how'd you manage school? What did you, what did you prioritize? Yeah. I also, I, I know what you going back to what you're saying, Michael, at the beginning, like, I think, I think there are three things you have your athletics, your academics and your social. And like, you could try to do all three of them max, but like, if you do, you're not going to get the most out of one of them as you might, if you were just doing two of them. Yeah. And you're going back to your tunnel vision. Like I had tunnel vision as I knew my first job after school, like, I wanted it to be, and I wanted it to be playing soccer. I didn't think about it being anything else in some way. Like I just knew it was going to happen. Um, I think one thing that uh, we as a team at Stanford agreed on is that we were going to do a dry season and that not only helped our athletics, but it also like helped our team bond. Cause if no one was going out to these parties, like while they're going on, we were, we were just always we would just hang with each other yeah. instead. 
And so I, I think that was, that was one good thing. Cause I mean, I, I didn't like, I couldn't even, I didn't have my driver's license even in high school. So I think if you <laughs> let me drink, do school and play soccer and, and <laughs> college, it would have been a recipe for disaster and you talking to me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But, but I knew like I knew if I was going to go party, I knew I was going to wake up the next day and just go work out probably. Yeah. like you. And that's yeah. how I managed that. I think the best quote I've heard of this year is, a, is from a guy named Will Trapp on, on the team. You know, he was the yeah. old yep. national team captain. He said, um, he said, motivation is like the weather and discipline is like the sun. And, and like you, I was disciplined because you could wake up tomorrow and be super like pumped and ready to just go lift and get your diet on and do and journal and do all your good habits. But then maybe two weeks from then you're hungover and you don't, you feel like taking the day off and a little bit, but if you're disciplined, you do that every day, just as the sun rises. Yeah. Like you, you stay true to that habit in a way and like motivation it just it comes and goes it changes like it's like the weather but discipline is like the sun just because it's somewhat habitual yeah no i think i definitely think as i've gotten older i've realized how powerful discipline can be and how you know i think it's one of the more critical things in determining success um because like you said a lot of motivation comes and go but discipline is kind of one of those things that keeps you accountable for it yeah. every day. And, I, and I'm not going to sit here and like bullshit you that I was just super, like I had no social life and was just super in the academics and soccer. Cause that'd just be a lie. Like, like if I knew I'd an early morning practice, I'm not going to stay up and work on homework past 1130. Like, yeah. and, you know, like you need your sleep yeah. in, in some ways. And so I don't know. See, I just, yeah. See, with that, that, there was times when I did, like, I stayed up to all hours of the night finishing certain assignments because I think I, I took a little bit too much pride in grades. And, yeah. like, looking back at it, I probably, I mean, I don't want to say I have regrets of college. Like, I think, obviously, it made me who I am, and I, I am where I am now, and I'm happy about that. But, like, if I knew some of the things I knew now, I think I would have I would have leaned more into my passions, like using the resources colleges have because colleges have, like mm -hmm. you said, a wealth of resources and like really just going after my passions and, you know, maybe a little less time on school because right now I really haven't used like a lick of that knowledge, <laughs> but like, mm -hmm. I do think it instilled, like you said, that discipline and that, you know, work ethic, which is still with me today, which is great. Let's move on a little bit. You, we talked about you balling out. Um, you end up getting a homegrown contract with the Timbers, but you also managed to finish out your school. So how did that work out? I think you might've told me this story in the past, but I might need a refresher. How did this all work out? Finishing school, being signed <laughs> as a homegrown. Yeah. It's a pretty great combo there. Yeah, that was a very crazy time. I, the, well, the first of all, the the deal was is that if I gave up my signing bonus, the Timbers would allow me to finish school. But the then I would have to on the weekends go to they'd fly me to Tucson where they're having preseason, and I'd do preseason there, and then I'd fly back and 
on like a Monday or a Sunday and then do do school from there. Wow. Um, I guess it was cool because I'm living like a double life in a way, yeah. but also was the worst time ever because I'm I had to take uh, extra classes so I could finish up and graduate um, that quarter. And so I was taking a bunch of classes. And then on the weekends, when I want to let loose, I'm down in the area <laughs> getting my ass kicked in the season. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. I I was so scared. So I, 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 I. First of all, when the Timbers gave me the deal, I was like, okay, I'm. This isn't worth leaving college for. For like, I need. I should finish school because my scholarship, the school almost is prorated, is better than what I'll be earning, like from from Timbers. So I. So thought, you. Oh, so you had that. So a kid growing up, going. Did you grow up going to Timbers games? Yeah, and yeah. playing in the academy. Yeah, so a kid growing yeah. up right next to Portland, going to Timbers game, and you're offered a home homegrown contract, and you're thinking, "Hmm, my scholarship prorated is is better than this." That, that's quite. I mean, that's. But I mean, if you like, I well, I was thinking about it. Like, I mean, if if this is the deal they're giving me, they probably don't want me too bad. So you're playing hardball. I love it. No, I just thought like they don't. They're just going to use me and throw me away. <laughs> And then, so how did you eventually come to the decision? It was it because they they eventually, you know, worked it out so you could finish out school and then sign. Yeah, okay. it was just the was those ten weeks left, and I won't ever forget like coming like I finish all my finals. I I I come back to Portland and I look at my finals, and I needed like forty percent on one final to pass this class and like get my diploma. I got. 38 percent on the final no and i i look at it and i go this can't be real um i i'm crying a little bit i i and i just immediately like like do a bunch of like digging and like trying to find the professor's like like phone number the contact i eventually like get in touch with them and i'm like hey if like this is my deal like I need this class to graduate. He goes, what? Any, any, and we eventually work it out from there. But um, wow. that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit. Uh, I, I cut it too close. So <laughs> hey, well, you got your diploma. You got the diploma, so it all worked out. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, so before we leave college, can I ask, uh Foster, do you remember playing against Max? Uh, yes, I do. Games? I do. He he played winger. Like? We he played winger against us. <laughs> Man, I, Man, I, that is wild. The fact that I played winger against you. That is you how many wild. what positions have you not played? <laughs> Honestly, not. I did. I played goalie for ODP when I was younger. So no way. I did yeah, play that. Did. Yeah. Um, okay. Wait. Can we pause for one second? My mom is like yelling downstairs. Also, how is Barry? Just she's doing great. She's we, good. Yeah. We can cut this out, but like. What is? Do you hear that? I think they're all come. All the ladies are coming in. I know, but it's like there's yeah screaming. You get a bunch of sixty year old ladies together. Forget about it. It's party. Uh, playing against Max in college, left winger. Yeah. Right. He winger. was he was skilled. Uh, he's probably one of the only good players on Santa Clara besides Kendall at the time. We crushed him. I loved it. <laughs> you did. Oh my god! Did you ever score a goal against Santa Clara? No. No. Let's go. You need to. Let's go. <laughs> And uh, you guys become teammates up in uh, Portland shortly after that, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. 
Uh, the first year was awesome. We yeah. really went far. Can I tell a foster story? You, by all means. Okay. Well, like a lot of dads, I was really into Max's soccer and kind of really got into it when he was at Santa Clara. And I remember watching a Santa Clara Stanford match that you played in. And I have a very distinct memory of you being a real pain in the ass to play against <laughs> that you were constantly pressing and, and almost scoring and just a handful and just a really aggressive uh, three defenders would be required to deal with you. And I felt like, boy, what that guy, I don't like him. I just don't like him. Uh, and uh, I felt like you were mean and a bit of a bully and just tough and the whole Stanford aura. Anyhow, uh, Max gets up and plays on the Portland, uh, I think U23 team. And I asked, call him up, how's he doing? He goes, good. I go, you know any of your teammates? I go, well, this guy from Stanford, this Foster, oh, that jerk? And Max goes, actually, he's not a jerk at all. He's like the funniest, goofiest. He's like my best friend on the team. <laughs> uh, he's, he's like the best teammate. We have a blast together. He's a hell of a player. But other, other than that, I mean, he's just this terrific guy. That's the problem. Are we talking about the same up. Foster? <laughs> no, I mean that's that's the thing. With so many, you come to realize with so many guys who you absolutely hate playing against, it's all it's it usually works its way out where those are some of the best people to like have on your team. And I, you know, he's not lying. I do remember playing against you in college and hating you. Like I, I hated you in college, and then. You know, I go up and I'm playing with the under 23 team and it was nice to see a familiar face, but I'm just like, oh, this guy, like right. this will be interesting. And then within the first five minutes, I was all my previous um, <clears throat> previous thoughts about you were out the window and I'm like, all right, I love this guy. And I mean, we talked about it briefly uh, before, but like on that van ride coming back from, I don't know where we were somewhere in the Pacific Northwest driving back to Portland. We're in the back of the van and, you know, no headphones, no nothing. We literally just talked for like two hours, two and a half yeah. hours, just like telling stories, you know? And yeah. that was like, I feel like that was a very great bonding time for us. And then, you know, you went off to Stanford again and won another national championship. And then a year later, I end up signing with T2. I'm playing for T2 and everything comes full circle. You sign a homegrown contract. And that first year you spend a lot of time with T2 and we kind of got to pick up exactly where we left off. And we had a great, we had a great year together. I mean, could you, you know, could you talk a bit about what that first year was like? You were, I think you had like 14 or 15 goals team yeah. of the week, a bunch of times you were doing celebrations left and right that were just amazing um, and, and that's when i transformed from hating you to loving you yeah I mean, we're scoring goals from max's team yeah so what, what was that first year like playing professionally the, the first year is awesome because i mean i think perf like pro soccer is much much different as you know max than, yeah. than college soccer like just from the game schedule like how how you approach each game like you're you have so many more games like at the pro level like you really have to almost have like a like a short memory so you can just get on to the next game depend like regardless of how the last result was yeah um, I didn't think I was going to do that well to to be honest um, <laughs> I think I, as as well as um I'm also 
I'm also my biggest critic as as you are in some ways, but yeah. I, I think I, I mean my my real goal was to play in an MLS game and I think it was it was pretty crushing to not do that my rookie year. And and because I remember uh, the Timbers coach coming up to me before one of our practices, and I was kind of on fire for T two, yeah, scoring a bunch. And he said, "I told the media today. Someone asked me why you weren't playing for the first team, and he said because he didn't think I was ready to play at the level yet for MLS, which was which was true. Because if you looked at my passing percentage in USL, I think it was like the third lowest." Um, I'm like completion rate. I remember um, the coaches like brought it up to me a little bit, like as well as I was doing like stats wise, like me helping the build up play was not going so great. So in some ways, like I was thinking I'm doing really well. Um, at least I think so. And I'm being told in some ways that I'm not doing so well. So what really, what really is it um, yeah. here? And but I mean, I did. Yeah, it was certainly just a whole hell of a lot of fun to be able to focus solely on soccer in yeah. some way. Okay, um, well, I, I want to jump in a little bit here because you say you were solely focused on soccer. I do want to talk a bit. I mean, we talked a little bit about your uh, your work ethic, and you know, I want to. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, this guy works extremely hard." Oh, this guy's work ethic is crazy. I mean, I can say you know, pretty honestly that you're probably in the top three of hardest working people I've ever met. And I don't know who, I don't know who the other two are. I just know you're, (laughs) you're top three, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, but like, I mean, literally like to paint a picture for people, you know, we'd go out to training, we'd do our prehab in the gym, go out to training. You'd already been out there for, I don't know how long fit doing finishing the track or Nate. crossing and finishing before practice then we practice in which you're working your ass off in practice you probably have some of the highest numbers on the field and then you'll come up to me or nate or someone after training and say hey you want to go train later (laughs) and like and and like i'm just like like dude i i just trained like i'm i'm pretty tired you know like i'm i'm pretty tired and you're like okay well i'm gonna go train and so you know countless occasions i i honestly can't count because it, it wasn't like a once in every once in a while it was like quite regularly you are going and training on your own after training yeah. and you know doing finishing doing small touches doing things like that to you know refine your game and clearly it was paying off with the amount of goals you were scoring um but then on top of that i mean i don't know if i should be saying this but you also had like an internship right? Like you were working a, a business job. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're playing in the MLS. You're one of the highest scoring players in the USL. You are training before training, during training and doing additional training after. And you're, you're literally working like a consulting job. What? I mean, <laughs> it was too much looking What's back. What's wrong at with you? <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, but like, what was that? What was that like? I mean, where, did you ever i mean you had to have gotten tired or what what was the i'm curious as to why you were why did you add the business thing on top of it as you were being so successful on the field at the time you know i think i don't i mean i i did it and i don't think it was a smart idea but in 
because it did lead the burnout for sure as soon as i started the internship i actually stopped scoring um in in the rookie year um and it just it was a lot because i was also living at home so i'd go to portland i'd like fight traffic to get the practice and then i'd leave practice i'd go work for four hours and then i'd fight practice to go home and then train and then go home and like that'd be my day in a little bit and it didn't like give me and i don't know i if i could go back and do things again i wish i was much less intense about the internship but in my mind i just thought like hey it's like school again (laughs) it's like going back to college like i (laughs) do soccer and then i have the education part i think uh, i've always i i mean i don't always i I do things because i like to do them too like I, as much as I wanted the, my end goal is to improve in soccer. Like if you look at the training I was doing, it was, it was a lot of the things I loved and like crossing and finishing before practice. I love that. Like I, like, I I feel like if, if you go and try and train some kids, sometimes you just can't train them because they don't love soccer. Yeah. And, and I heard one great, great quote that, Matthias Almedia, like the earthquakes coach, he Uh said his number one job is to make his players love playing soccer. That's awesome. And and so a lot of my training I was just doing because I love soccer, but also it was to to be able to play for the first team eventually. Yeah. Um, And then that internship, in my mind, I just thought, um, I I just want to make sure I'm like growing intellectually as well. And if I can, because sometimes with the Stanford degree, like you can get a little bit um, like distracted with what else you can possibly do, like outside of sports. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, and also I was interested in that. So I pursued it. I worked at this, it was called the Merriweather Group and they, it was a consulting um, service that would like help like companies come up with branding strategies or like do Emmett help them like sell their get funding so it was it was really fun I liked it um yeah. also I did that again uh for the beginning of preseason in Minnesota here and that which was <laughs> even crazier because I would get I would I would go to practice we'd have we'd train twice a day I'd get done with practice and then by that time it'd be like 9 a.m pacific time and we trained we trained here at um at the national sports center in blaine uh-huh. minnesota and so it's just this huge complex with dorms so then i'd go into a dorm and i would work oh my until god the next training session i'd bring my lunch in there i'd sometimes just piss in the bottle and then i'd work for two hours and then and with the microsoft teams advent like people know when you're online working and you're available versus offline and so then we would have a gym session and i'd make sure to keep my microsoft teams like i'd constantly refresh it on my phone so it looked like (laughs) i was online i'd go (laughs) i gotta ask what is what where's that coming from i mean look anyway you slice it you've always been a really hard worker whether it's (laughs) before college, at college, your whole soccer career. I mean, hard worker is a gross understatement. I mean, you, you're kind of at the extreme edge of, of how hard you work at everything you do. What, what, do, you, do you know where that comes from? What, what's, uh, what's the drive? 
This yeah, may might. this may turn into a therapy session. <laughs> I'm curious. Call nine one one. Do you need to be occupied all the time? Is is yeah. that it? Do you? Is there some end goal that you're after? Is it you know yeah. something in your family background that ingrains just drive, 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 or, or you maybe just don't know? I think I don't. I think sometimes I think it was my dad because you get really scared when this guy would come home, and if you're just laying around like playing video games or not doing anything, he would really give it to you. So <laughs> yeah. Um, in my mind, I was like constantly like, I need to be busy. I need to be busy. I'm not busy right now. Like I'm about to get yelled at or something. I need to be busy. Yeah. Um. I mean, also my mom said playing soccer wasn't a real job too. So in my mind, I'm like, if I'm living in her house, I'd probably yeah. <laughs> kind of play by her rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, but. I definitely, I definitely relate to you a lot on that. I don't, yeah. I, I don't have the same, um, you know, exactly situation as you where I was working a consulting job after training, but I recently started doing therapy. And one of the things that we talked about is how I'm like, I'm con I always feel like I need to be doing something. Like mm -hmm. if I'm just sitting, not doing anything, I'm feeling like I'm not doing enough. And yeah. it's like, it's, it helps in like accomplishing goals and doing stuff but like at the same time it can be um self-detrimental in a way you know and yeah. like i'm similar to you where like i always feel like i need to be doing something or like i constantly have a podcast running in the background because i don't want to be just alone with my thoughts and like you yeah. know that's something that i'm like figuring out right now is like how you know what is the source of this how do i find a healthy relationship with it like i need to be somewhat okay with like relaxing and giving myself a break you know because that's a healthy part of life um but like dude I, I mean i feel you to some degree like it's it's something that i deal with as well obviously on a different level but like yeah it's it's like our coping mechanisms yes a little bit like sometimes they're unhealthy so it's like versus doing that i'd rather just keep myself busy yeah. So I never have to face boredom or that yeah. in some ways. Hey, Dad, quick question for you. Yep. When is the last time you were at the grocery store and you really looked at the ingredients of what you were getting? Not Panda Express, but, you know, oh. the grocery store. Now, that, that's a very good question, and it's a complicated answer because I, I would say for the first 55 years of my life, I never looked at ingredients on like the cereal I bought or anything else, and I've started recently looking at labels and ingredients. Well, today's your lucky day. I have a box of Cafe Fanny Granola, original flavor, my personal favorite, and I'm looking at the ingredients. Guess how many there are? I'd say it's a pretty pure product, so between eight and 14. It's as pure as it gets, it has seven. And guess what the first word of every ingredient is? Organic. It's organic. It's organic, no sodium, no cholesterol, no trans fat. It also has fiber, antioxidants, no sugar, no salt, ancient grains. So we don't have new grains. These are ancient grains. They age over time. It's the best grains you could get. Ancient or better than new? Yes. 
Okay. Omega threes. What else can you have, Dad? I suggest you look at the ingredients because if they're anything like Cafe Fanny, it's worth a buy. Check it out. Only seven ingredients. Yeah, it's, it's the best. rare to find a product that has less than ten ingredients. I know. Back to the show. So you had a flying first year. Um, second year was a little hit or miss. What was you know what was your mindset after leaving the Timbers and then heading into playing with Reno? Like, what was your mentality going into that? Um, um, honestly, my mentality going into that was this is going to be it. My last season of playing soccer, um, I'm just going to enjoy it as much as I can. But um, it's just it's impossible. I feel like. For me, when I, 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 that was my mindset. I'm going to retire. This is my last season playing soccer in Reno. Um, but then as soon as I got there, like, you, you know, when you're practicing and you're out there, you're like, well, I'm already here. I might as well, like, kill it and give it my all. Like, of course, I'm going to have fun, but I'm going to yeah. get pissed off, like, when things don't go my way. And I'm going to take this as serious as I can because I'm a super intense person. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the one of the reasons why you're so successful is like, I mean, you came into that just like with the enjoy it mentality, but then the second like the ball hits the ground and you're a competitor, and yeah. if someone tells you no, you're gonna take that as a challenge, and exactly, you sure did take that as a challenge, and and it was, and I was initially not playing even through COVID when they couldn't, when they, when the earthquakes weren't allowed to drop down their reserve players to play for us, they, another guy was playing over me, but he got injured in our game. And so then my coach puts me in, um, he puts me into the game. I, it was actually, I, I think it was against Tacoma maybe. And I play, I do okay. And then they start me again. And this guy's going to come back the next week, but then we're playing against San Diego loyal. I score a goal and then I scored for the next 10 games straight. Yeah. Let's I just, go. I think well, like, let's go except for the goals against I guess you guys, two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I, bet, I think like there's something to be said about like sports, like, and, and just like, you have to have that killer instinct in a way you can't just like show up and expect it to happen in a way like you you have to put the ball in the net and like you you have to make that happen in a way um i'm, I'm sure there's something deep to be said about that but i think I, that's just it, it was what i was best at i just saw that i was given an opportunity and i thought like i'm not about to l let this go yeah the opportunity passed me so as a striker, do you kind of get on a roll where, boy, I'm hot. I, you know, I'm just scoring goals. Those shots are fine in the yeah. corner or whatnot. Or I'm, I, I can't put the ball in the net. Everything is just not working for me. Yeah, even the simplest things become tough when you're in bad form, like just from giving passes to maybe shooting a ball from 10 yards from the yeah. goal. But I think once you get the first goal in, then you stop thinking as much about, like, how you're going to hit a cross when it comes into you and you in a way like fall back on your training and you trust that and have confidence that it's going to um, show up and make you look good. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about penalty kicks? What's your mentality when you're taking one? Are you nervous beforehand? Do you have a, a set approach? Do you decide where you're going to kick it before you know, walk into the spot? Do you 
watch the goalkeeper, not watch. What's your thinking? Well, I, I, what I do is I, I mean, I have a routine. Like I normally know where I'm going to go before the game starts. And I just like set the ball down. I take three steps backwards, two steps to the left, two deep breaths, just to center myself. Um, which was something that Stanford was big on teaching me on as we did a lot of the psychological um, stuff. And, and then I look at the top of the crossbar and then I just make sure I strike through the ball. Like, I think that is, I mean, but I mean, as Max knows, I, I've missed my last four PKs. In did you? Yeah. I've missed, remember the game I missed two against Phoenix rising. Yeah. And then, and then I missed, and then I mixed uh, my next PK against, uh, I think, Las Vegas Lights. And then I missed another PK last season against Tacoma. And and then I, I just decided I'm done taking them because, like you were kind of saying earlier, like it's probably in my head a little bit. The simplest things are <laughs> tough right now. We got to get you one more PK. We got <laughs> to get you one. Um Wait, I have to I have to bring up a story real quick. I don't know if this is if we're able to talk about this. I don't, do you still have a case open in the state of uh, Colorado? We can talk about it. It's been okay. closed. <laughs> okay, the case has been closed. We can talk about it. This is one of my favorite all time Foster stories. I've never stories. heard your perspective on this too. Okay, I'll we'll we'll give my perspective and then we can get into your head and hear your perspective. But this is one of my all time favorite. Just stories of all time and just like professional soccer like this will live with me forever so we are just landed in denver i believe we're playing colorado springs the following day and you know the guys are at baggage claim hanging out talking waiting for our bags to come out and Eric Williamson comes up to foster and in this, in this Denver airport, there happens to be, you know, the classic baggage claim carousels that go around, but then there was also an interesting baggage claim carousel that was like against the wall. And I think it was for particularly large and like tall objects that were being yeah. checked. And it was like going across the wall and then it would like disappear into the wall and you know, go around in some giant circle. I don't know where it went. It was, it, it looked like it just went into the abyss and Eric Williamson comes up to Foster and says, Foster, I'll give you my per diem for the rest of the year. If you, you know, take a ride on the, exactly right. on the yeah. carousel. <laughs> and I don't know if, I don't know if a second went by. I think there was probably some quick math where you did the calculations and thought, you know, that's a decent amount of, we, we still had a decent amount of games left. So that's a decent chunk of change of per diem. And you, you saw an opportunity, you shook his hand and you just were off. You were, you walked to the very end of the carousel and right before it went into the wall, jumped on it, facing, facing against the wall, arms crossed or <laughs> arms by his side and boom, Foster's gone. And, you know, couple guys chuckling like oh my god what did this guy just do and you know we're thinking he might it might be like a 10 20 second little rotation who knows where this carousel went but we thought it was a, a relatively small loop and 
you know, 30 seconds goes by, we're all laughing, like, ah, oh, this is classic. Ah, ha, ha. And then like a minute goes by, we're like, God, like, where's Foster? And then two minutes, three minutes goes by, we're like, okay, this is getting a little bit concerning. Like, where is Foster? And then you see like security personnel start like shuffling around. You see people on walkie-talkies. You see, and we're like, oh no, like, oh my God, no, this is this has to be about Foster. And we see like the entire security of the airport is just something is happening and we we had to know that it was you and then lo and behold it probably had been like six or seven minutes i don't know um you know foster gets walked out of the the back door by security head down you looked awfully distraught and the perp walk you were and then <laughs> you later <laughs> on the bus you later i think you got on the bus thus i think one of the first thing you said was like I was so close to making it. You're so close <laughs> to getting to the end, but for, okay. So from your perspective, what, what happened here? How was I my did, analysis? And, and jumping into the oversized baggage claim, I have to say this cause I had to write a letter to the Denver report it was a irresponsible thing. To do. <laughs> 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 I'm legally obligated to say that. Um, <laughs> and you all get caught because they don't mess around. TSA does not mess around. Um, so when I get when I get back there and I'm just like, okay, so. <laughs> and, and the guy rips me down from the from the carousel, and then and he and I'm like, ha, ah, it's just a joke. <laughs> goes, You're in big trouble. The last guy that did this went to jail. And I was oh like, no, you're joking. I'm on a soccer trip right now. And I could lose my job. Don't do this. And he goes, I'm so sorry. Like, there's nothing I can do. Like, and so they're just like holding me in. And then they bring me out. And I'll never, my memory of this will be TSA, like holding me, drug dog sniffing me. And then me looking at you and like the whole team, like, and you guys are just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and 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 then I'd go up to Cam and and after I apologize because remember they make me apologize in the bus yeah. and yeah. and Cam says if if you get a call from a random five hundred three number you should pick it up because it's Gavin and um the PM for the Timbers and I think and I just said to Cameron I just said am I gonna get released and he said I don't know and so I'm like oh Jeez. damn I really did it and. Uh, <laughs> This is how it's gonna end. And um and he calls me and um and he just goes, out of everybody, I just didn't think it'd be you. <laughs> of all the people, I would have thought it was you. <laughs> like, come on. Um, so oh, so and then and then the coaches said I have to play the best game of my li- life the next day to and and I, I did all right. You uh, scored a goal. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you went to the corner and you were like, what were you doing? Like praying. You're like, thank you. Like, oh, my God. Thank you. You scored a goal in the next game. That was well, wow. I'm you know, I'm glad that you didn't go to jail and I'm glad you stayed on the team. But that was that's an it's an all time story. I mean, it was. It's undefeated. It's amazing. It's an, I remember Cam was he gave us the speech of like how we should have stopped you and like He's like, yeah, it's it's funny. I think he like gave it some context. Like this, you guys are gonna look back and like this is gonna be like a, a very funny story. But like, 
you should have stopped him. And we're like, we couldn't. He went too fast. Like, you were out so fast. We didn't have a chance to stop you. The, the real off? question is, did you get the per diem? No, I didn't even get the per diem. Wow, we might need to, we might need to talk to E about that. Yeah, please. <laughs> it makes big money now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is amazing. Okay. Was that out of character or in character to do that for you? I I mean Max and Nate call me Fraser sometimes, and that was not a Foster thing, but it might have been a Fraser. Uh, <laughs> it was his alter ego. Yeah, yeah. it I was mean, Fraser. Quick it decisions, I'd say. Yeah, probably me. Yeah, it's it's an all time story though. Okay, um, we've had you for a while, but there's just a few more questions. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get from you, and just I mean I'm I'm enjoying this a lot. Um. I did. I read the lovely uh, 10 things you didn't know about me that Minnesota United did with you. And honestly, I did learn some things about you. And there's some pretty great things that you that you said on there. Uh, you mentioned it briefly, but you said you journal every day. I do. Is that, is that something were you doing that when you were in Portland? Is that something you've been doing for a while or, um, you know, what's the uh, can you talk a little bit about the significance of that? Because I'm someone who I'm a big proponent of journaling uh i don't do it every day i i would like to be better at it so i'm curious from your perspective like you know what what kind of benefits does it give you and um you know what's the significance of it to you yeah i think um i mean for me it's definitely catharsis in a way i'm able to articulate my emotions a little bit and get down to the root of what's bothering me what i'm happy about or what my goals are in a way so it's very like has a lot of different uses in a way like for self-improvement but also like for long-term goal setting yeah Um, it was something and that was something i i remember like i picked it up um picked it up in college and i did would like kind of go off and on doing it a little bit but then I just last year, I got a lot more intense during COVID and frequent about it just because I was uh, my roommate had left uh, during COVID. And so I just was like alone in Reno. And so yeah, thought it'd be a good way to take care of myself a little bit. Um, nice. In a way, like I, I can go back and look at my journaling and look at the issues I was having then. And like through my hindsight, I can go, well, those issues got, they got solved mm-hmm. in a way. And so it's also a good reminder for then, for me going forward that I'm able to solve my own problems and I'm able to be in that things that are intense today, um, aren't going to necessarily be there, um, a couple weeks later bothering me a little yeah. bit. So it in a way like gives me a sense of time also. Yeah. Um, and and like from seeing the good because th- i also i write down good things i write down the bad things i i mean there's no reason for me to bullshit my journal like yeah <laughs> no one else reads it <laughs> i just right. i write exactly what's on my mind um it's the true foster unfiltered yeah. um in a way and so i think it's also mm-hmm. just good for me to empirically look back at what I've done and go, okay, there's like, I, it, it also like, you know, some days you feel like the days are going fast. Mm-hmm. Are you, well, if you're journaling, you can then look back and go like, Oh, I filled up these days with so much. Actually yeah. there's a lot I did. And 
Um, I don't know, it almost is, I, I feel a lot better and I know when I'm not doing it too, so. Wow. Yeah. That, how, what do you, how do you structure your journals? Um, you them? Well, wow, you, that was poetic the way you said that. Um, I just, I have like a, a daily planner and uh, like on one side, it'll be goals for the week. So it mm -hmm. splits it up into weeks. I have goals for the week and then ideas. And then each day it has like, you know, five or six lines of like items to put on like a scheduler to do. And uh, it depends on the day, but like some, some days. So most or all, every week I'll put my goals for the week. Some of them are like every week consistent, like be a leader or practice mindfulness with like a little, like meditate five times, you know, like with a little checkbox, yeah. something like that. And then some will be like this week, one of my goals is release a podcast, you know? So like some yeah. might change week to week and then ideas, you know, I'll put goals there as well, or just like things that I'm thinking about. And then, so on days where I'm, I'm not necessarily journaling, but like I have things on my head that I want to get out or just, I think is beneficial. I'll just write like on the side where I have some space, like something quick, like what I'm grateful for that day. But then yeah. there's other days when I am uh, conscious, like, oh, I, sh I should journal today. Like one of my goals for this last week was journal three days. Mm -hmm. I missed I missed that goal. I only did two. But um, with those, sometimes I'll look up like a journal prompt. I think one of the last one was, was like, you know, talk to your 15-year-old self and what would you say? Something like that. Or, you know, it's just something to get the get the wheels in motion and then kind of just go from there. Or I'll just say like, today I'm feeling this, this, this. Um, but what about you? How do you start yours? I, I, I mean, I kind of similar, there's no exact format. I just write down the date, the time, the place where I am like physically. Um, yeah. And then I kind of just freehand it from there. Exactly. Nice. In my mind. Do you do, how do you stay organized, Michael? Like do you journal or? No, I have, you, you have a very system. regimented work schedule where basically yeah. I know what I'm going to be doing Monday through Friday. And I'm just so busy kind of with what is right in front of me at the moment that I've never journaled and probably never will, uh, at least as long as I'm working. So um, it's a great exercise that you guys do. I'm very uh, admiring that you're introspective. I've never, I've never been an introspective person, so I'm not surprised I don't journal. But I think being introspective and being able to look inside, uh, kind of your thoughts and what's going on in your life is really important. I, My, I yeah, yeah, keep going. Uh, I was, I was just gonna say, I think you're, you're introspective, Dad. I just think it comes out in different mediums, you know, like whether it be a speech you give at like a dinner or a birthday party. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you're very good at, you know, using your words and, you know, tapping into emotions and your mind, but it's just, it's probably a generational thing where like, that just wasn't even a thing, you know? Sure. And like with your life now, like, like you said, your schedule is so regimented. You literally have someone build out a schedule for you where Monday through Friday, you're, you're essentially pretty busy from, 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. and um 
you know, you have a family, you have a wife, you have kids. And I've got this goddamn podcast that takes up all my free time. So who has time to journal? I got a full-time job and I got this damn podcast that I carry this whole thing. Oh my goodness. So uh, who has time to journal? No, but I think, I think it would be interesting. I mean, at some point I want to do like, cause you do, uh, he does with his mom, uh, an oral history where like he goes and interviews his mom about like her whole life. And you said like, you learned a lot about her in that time that, that you never knew. So I, for me, I think it would be really cool for us to do at some point, a similar thing where I'm sure like when you start thinking about those memories and times, like a lot of stuff will probably come out that it's been in your head, but not necessarily like verbalized sure. or, you know, so but I do think you're introspective. It just comes out in different forms, you know? Okay. I'll, I'll accept that. Give yourself some cred. Okay. I'm introspective. Yeah. Who knew? Um, okay. I wanted to ask Foster another question about uh, something that I didn't know about you, but I read it on your Stanford profile. So maybe it's not current, but I read that your favorite TV show was The Office. Uh, yeah. That still may be true or not. It's but, a classic. Um, I love it. When I'm having a bad day and <laughs> tough, or I'm bad move. I'll turn on any episode of The Office, and I'm oh, really? in a much better place. Even if I've seen it eight times, I can. <laughs> but uh, it just—it's such a great show. So, uh, do you associate with a particular character on The this Office? This is a great question. If you were on the, who are you? The there's a, uh, yeah, because they're all so relatable. Probably Toby. <laughs> Toby, no, I'm not Toby. At least I hope I'm not Toby. I'm, I could be Dwight. I don't know. <laughs> or Kevin, even. <laughs> Who are you? He's, he's Fraser. Yeah. Right when they, when they made the Fraser reference, it yeah. reminded me of The Office. <laughs> Who are you, Dad? Well, my name is Michael Gary Ornstill, and oh, uh, you're Michael Gary you're Scott there. is ahead. So I've got to be Michael Gary. Yeah, a lot of similarities. <laughs> I, we all want to be Jim, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I think Michael's a pretty, Michael's a great character. Yeah. Okay. One last thing. I, I mentioned briefly some of your accolades, but I would just want to, I want to lay out there for the listener, you know, a little bit of who they just listened to. So you, you talked about it briefly in the intro, but you grew up, you grew up with a speech impediment. You said you were an average athlete. Yeah didn't have college recruiting offers, came as a walk-on. And now now let's hear some of your accomplishments. I said it before, but three-time collegiate national champion, two-time All-American, Pac-12 all-time leading goal scorer. There's been some pretty unbelievable soccer players in the Pac-12. You are numero uno. And I think he's also <laughs> the all-time point leader. Pro- probably. Yeah. You're also the only player – ever to win Pac-12 player of the year twice. You sign an MLS contract with your childhood club and you've played in the MLS for, what is this, your fourth year? Yeah. Fourth year playing the MLS. Like, do you, do you take that, do you ever take that all in? And like, like, how does that sound right there? From the, the kid growing up, Foster, yeah, Kirk, Foster Kirk Langsdorf, <laughs> like, dude, it's unbelievable what you've accomplished and it's inspiring. So I, I just want one, I want to commend you on it, but two, like Thank you. in reflecting on that, like, how does that, does that hit you some type of way at all? 
it hits no. me just saying it like <laughs> damn no, also just... also 18 game winning goals that's the goals a lot. he scored 18 of them were game winners yeah i mean that comes down to the fitness i was always like the most fit i was running at 100 percent in the 90th minute same as i was in the first minute i remember um i know i don't really i think uh, a part of the stanford program was really formative for me in this is that we we always had this quote that you throw the jersey away and so it's like you throw your trophy away and you know the next and the next thing you're looking you're always looking forwards at what you can do versus what you did in some ways because if you're looking back you get stuck a little bit just looking back rather than looking at forward and seeing what else you can go accomplish and so i always like try and hold that mindset that you know when i beat the fitness test at Stanford the first time that was a big deal but then I was like well I mean I want to now like I'm gonna obviously run this test again if I run it worse then my fitness has dropped so I better like go raise the bar again and then raise the bar again I remember winning Pac-12 player of the year and thinking well if I don't my junior year and thinking if I don't win it my senior year that's gonna mean that I've regressed a little bit so now I want to like try and go a little bit further in summary so I think wow. complacency is really there's some like quote that complacency is, is something like the bad cousin of accomplishment. <laughs> well, so. you have you have been everything but complacent. I think I do. Th I mean, I'm also a, a very much a believer of like once you ac accomplish a goal, then like what's the next goal? You know, yeah. like continuing to grow, continuing to strive for bigger and better things. But I also, at the same time, I think it's important to celebrate your successes. So whether or not you have done that or not, I mean, I'm sure you've done some of it, but like, dude, holy shit. Like you Thanks. should, be, you should be extremely, <laughs> extremely proud of your accomplishments. And I think whoever listens to this episode, whoever knows you, you know, has learned from you and the adversity that you've gone through and, the experiences that you've had and to see what you've done is, is honestly extremely inspiring. So I commit, I, whether or not you celebrate it or not, I am celebrating it. I want to give you your flowers cause you deserve them, bro. It's, it's impressive. You're here. Very impressive. Okay. Now we'll, we'll end with a, a fun little segment. This is what we end every episode with. I don't know if you've heard it at all. It's called, what are you eating, reading, preaching and plugging? So first off, what are you eating? Is there anything that you're, I don't remember if you're a big chef or not. Is there anything you're chefing up over in Minnesota or is it purely takeout? It can't, if it's takeout, you could tell us what, what fire takeout you're getting, or if you're chefing it up, just what, what are you eating? What, what dish do you want to highlight right now? So I can't, I can't cook because, well, I mean, I can cook when I first came here. I needed, I, I was moving here in the spur, it was spur of the moment. I didn't yeah. exactly know I, it was going to happen. And I needed to find a place that had Wi-Fi and could, and could get me in immediately. So basically that wouldn't do a background check. Because those take like a couple of days. Not that I have anything in my background. We know the one. Yeah, just one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just the one. That got expunged. Yeah, there you go. In community okay. service, though. So. Um, I, what I'm what I'm eating right now is Panera bread, which I've nice. 
and you think it's for old people that's that's what makes it great because then because it's really quiet in there what's <laughs> your go to at panera it's great i i love panera you you do i just um, haven't been probably in a few years but it's good yeah yeah I want I, salad i'll get i'll get uh their mac and cheese with a turkey sandwich so wow you rascal and then uh <laughs> that's cool what i'm reading i'm i'm reading um kind of a, a real estate book called the cash flow mindset okay um, oh there we go nice and then, and then what are you uh what are you preaching that is like words to live by a motto something to leave a listener you know inspired with the foster langsdorf words of wisdom you've you've laid out a lot of quotes so i don't know i don't i don't think you can recycle them though you're gonna have to come up with a new one i think what i'm what i'm preaching is um I, I think like one thing that I felt through COVID is that people are a little bit of afraid of other people like getting them sick. So like if they see someone random on the street, they're like, you know, you want to go onto the other sidewalk or you're like worried about this person getting close to you. And so what I'm kind of preaching is just like kind of like loving the people around me a little bit more and like trying to say hi whenever I can and be nice to strangers and people I'm seeing out in public and somewhat trying to um, like build myself back into saying hi again and not being looking at people as just like germ bags or yeah. something. You no, know, kind of like looking at people as people in a way. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm preaching. What about yeah. yourself right I, now? I think, I think you're right. I think the world is lacking a lot of humanity at the moment. And I yeah. think, I think COVID and the past couple of years have highlighted how how much we need to grow in that sense. In that, at the end of the day, we are all humans on this planet, whether we're a different color, a different size, a different shape, a different creed. At the end of the day, we're all human, and we need to treat each other a lot better. So, I yeah. agree. I agree um okay lastly what are you plugging what do you, oh, what, do you plugging? what do you plug into the world something yeah. you want to you know promote promote nothing i got i got nothing man i'm not trying to promote anything i'm trying maybe, to no. maybe this maybe this you know there's this cool up-and-coming podcast that you were on that could be yeah, something good. <laughs> let's go let's go do you listen to podcasts i do i listen do you, to watch wall street journal the daily and howard stern i saw i saw you say you listen to the daily that's my every morning while i make my coffee the daily really it's, it's make coffee for 30 minutes <laughs> it's while I, I make it or i listen to it while i make it and start my breakfast yeah. it's a it's very much my routine what time does your practice start generally we have if you're getting treatment i usually try and get there an hour before start time so in in at nine for a 10 o'clock mm -hmm. start but it takes me 35 minutes to get there. So I leave mm -hmm. usually around 8.25. How's it been having him back home? I like it. Um, I know it's awkward for him to be living kind of in the shadow of his parents. I get it's that. It's not awkward. No, I, look, I was 27 and I know uh, it's great to have your parents around at times and it's a drag. I get that. So I try to keep my distance and, uh, you know, 
uh, have Max come to me rather than go to him. But I know the one downside for Max is that I have a morning ritual, which I have my coffee. I usually have a nine o'clock mediation. So I've got to get on the Zoom about quarter to nine. But my morning ritual is have my coffee, have my bowl of cereal, come upstairs, get my blue robe, go back downstairs and go out to the hot tub. I take about a 20 minute hot tub before work every morning. And I have to walk right by Max's studio apartment. And uh, so every every morning he has his dad walking by in a ratty blue bathrobe, kind of looking into his it's nice. pad. And I, I can imagine as a 27 year old, Jesus Christ, that is no, I'm I'm usually sitting there with my bowl of oatmeal and my coffee, and you walk by and I'm sitting my coffee. I give you a wave, <laughs> you give me a wave, and it's it's just part of both of our routines. It's great. It's nice to have it's really nice. I miss my kids when I don't get to see them all the time. Yeah. Uh it's the worst part of Max living in Portland. Uh it was nice to have them both there, but I miss my kids. Yeah. And the podcast has been fun too. Yeah. Hey Foster, it's really good to see you. I started out not liking you. Now I love you. So, I know. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Truly. Yeah. No, thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. This is awesome. Uh I'll send you a rough draft in like the next week or so if that's cool with you. Yeah. And yeah, this is this was super fun, bro. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for having me on. It'd be well. Of course. Thanks it was... for researching me too. It felt like you guys really did your homework. Hey, we, we got to. It's our job. I have this image of you on a, <laughs> a conveyor belt that I can't get <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely legendary.